Welcome to Central Baptist Church of Livingston, Texas. We're glad that you've chosen to study God's Word with us today. We'd invite you to visit our website, centrallivingston.com, to learn more about our mission to preach, to teach, and to live the gospel for the glory of God. Now, open your Bible or your Bible app and study God's Word with us. You know, as we pray, um, I want to tell you a quick story and uh, from the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 15. You can come if you want to pray here at the front with me. Um, but this is a story of Jesus, and there was a moment in which uh, Jesus was ministering and dealing with tax collectors and sinners. These were people who were cut off, who were the worst of the worst of society. And as Jesus is interacting with them, and he's talking to them, and he's engaged with them, and he's, he's um, intentionally trying to pursue them and run them down. Um, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, begin to talk. They begin to gossip. We're good at gossiping, aren't we? They begin to talk, 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 and they started to condemn Jesus himself, and this is what they said about him. This was his reputation. The man, this man, receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus knows what's happening here. So he tells this parable, this story, and he lays the story alongside a biblical truth. That's what a parable is. It says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays, on his, lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents or turns than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Anybody praying for someone in the room or praying for someone who's outside of this room who needs Christ in, your, in their lives? Maybe you just spent time with family members, friends. Maybe during this Christmas season, there is that person on your heart. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or it's a grandson or a granddaughter. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend who needs Jesus in their life. I want you to know this morning that the Lord Jesus loves them deeply and passionately. And this morning, what I want us to do is just pray for the one. Pray for that one that Jesus is referring to here in this parable. Because all of us have been cut off and lost and uh, uh, distant from God at one point or time or another. But Jesus Christ pursued us. He loved us enough to go to the cross for us. And for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus and we sing these songs with joy in our hearts, you know, it means something more to us, right, than those who are not Christians quite yet. And they're observing and they're watching. And there are those in your lives who are observing and they're watching you and your life and they're listening to you. And, you know, as we pray for them, let's pray to the, uh, to the Lord who can open their hearts and soften their hearts and open their hearts towards, towards him and towards his truth. So join me in prayer and then we'll pray and uh, look at God's word in a moment. Father, thank you again for the time that we come together, Lord, on, the, on this Sunday morning, Lord, every Sunday we come and we celebrate your resurrection, Jesus. We celebrate the fact that you have given us life, you have given us meaning, you have given us purpose, you have given us, Lord, a reason to sing, a reason to gather, a reason to serve, a reason to pursue you with all of our lives. God, we are overwhelmed with grace and mercy that we are 
above all people who do not deserve your grace and your mercy, and yet you have chosen to do this work in our life of, of forgiving us, redeeming us, and calling us your children, adopting us into your family. You are our heavenly Father. You are the one who guides us, who provides for us. You are the one who protects us. You are the one who brought us into the world, for Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are unique. There is no one in this room, God. There is no one on the planet like us. And yet, God, in your creative hand, in your creative power, you chose to bring us into this world. And you gave us a singular purpose, and that is to know you and to worship you and to, to obey you and pursue you with our hearts and with our lives. And we thank you for that reality this morning. And we are also here, Lord, in behalf of your son, Jesus. We are not here without you sending your son into the world. We've been singing songs, Father, about your son. We know and understand that, Jesus, you have come, but that you're also coming again. And we thank you for that reality. It's what gives us hope. It's what leads us to have faith and belief in you, Lord. It's what gives us that joy that we've been singing about this morning, that living hope that we've been singing about this morning, the reality, Lord, of the, the cradle that inevitably led to the cross and the work from the grave, all of it for us, all of it for humanity to know you, to be redeemed, and to be able to worship you in local churches like we're in now. God, we pray for the lost. We pray for those individuals, Lord, who are not lost and too far from you. And God, they have, they have drifted. They have, Lord, chosen to live their lives for themselves. Maybe they just don't understand you or understand, Lord, what it is that they're rejecting. But God, for whatever reason, they've chosen not to follow you. And we pray that you would open their hearts. We pray that you, Lord, would um, give us a, a, a burden for them, a a desire to speak truth into their life and love them. And we just pray your hand would be on them and with them, God. Do not give up on them, Lord. Continue to pursue them and use us in their lives and use others in their lives to cross paths with them who are also believers, who would love them and who would, Lord, share the good news of Jesus with them. We just pray for them this morning, God. Put your, we ask that you'd put your hand of favor upon our service God, as we have already been worshiping you into this very moment, God, that we spend time with you in, in your word. Would you speak clearly to us? Would you help us, Lord, to just to gather our hearts and our minds to be focused on the most important thing, and that's you. You are the center of attention, Lord Jesus. And there is no one, there is nothing that we would rather do in this world than to be here with you, to hear from you, and respond to you. And so we pray that your blessing would be on this time and your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. And uh, what I want to encourage you to do this morning is take a Bible and turn with me over to the book of the Psalms. And we're going to take this morning um, actually a few Sundays where we're going to, to step away from the book of Joshua. As you know, if you're here on Sunday mornings, we've been in a series walking through chapter by chapter, story after story of the book of Joshua. But we're going to take during this season 
a a few Sundays and take a break from Joshua. We'll come back to it after the first of the year. But we're going to focus our attention and our our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ and the significance of this season. Uh, It is important. We talk about Jesus every Sunday, but it is important, I think, sometimes to come to seasons like this where we really focus our attention, we really zero in our attention on the most important thing, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 8 um, today. And so if you're there, say amen. All right, good. I know you've got your Bibles with you. Look at eight, Psalm 8 with me. This is what it says. O Lord, our Lord. Now this is a Psalm of David. You see that in the heading in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes uh, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man? That's a good question. That you are mindful or not mindful of him. What is man that you are not mindful of him and the, and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're in the season of understanding that Jesus has come, that Jesus is coming again. We're understanding that. You look around this worship center, there was a transformation that took place about a week ago, a little over a week ago, actually. As if you were here last Sunday, you noticed their decorations were up uh, already. But there was a transformation that took place in the lobby and in the worship center, and you got these, this greenery, we have lights, we have decorations, and most likely in many of your homes, You've either started or you're about to start uh, the decoration process. So uh, Thursday afternoon, one of my neighbors had already, it was, I mean, maybe 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and I mean, the Christmas decorations were coming out, the blow-ups were in the yard. I mean, they they were going all out. In our home yesterday, we get down the decorations. Now, I'm smart enough to understand that my number one job is to get the boxes down. But my job is not to decorate the house. It is to really get out of the way of the chief decorator, which is my wife, right? And my sons, who they like to decorate as well, especially my youngest. So um, I get out of the way. But the fact of the matter is, when it was all said and done, and I get up this morning, and I come out into the living room, and I sit down with my Bible and my cup of coffee, I'm looking around my living room, I'm looking around the house, and it's decorated. We don't have our tree up yet, but it's decorated. I thought to myself, you know, this didn't just happen. It required a a master designer, if you will. It required someone taking the intentional work or the effort to do all of this, right? What I want to consider to you this morning, and what David does in the psalm, in Psalm 8, is he is pointing out to us, he's pointing out to you and I and and all of those who who read this psalm, he's pointing even out to the Lord as he sings this song back to the Lord, is that, that, that the Lord has hung his glory everywhere. You ever consider that? God has hung his glory all over the world. All around you, he has hung his glory. And it doesn't matter where you go, what you experience, he has hung his glory. David writes this psalm, Psalm 8. This psalm is about the glory of God or the majesty of God. And this psalm, what this psalm is, is God gives this song or psalm, 
which is a song, gives this psalm to David as a gift to us. He, he gives this psalm as a gift to us to be able to read and to understand it, but then also sings it back to the Lord. And that's what the psalms are, the songs. And so when we sing songs and we worship him and we raise our hands and we clap and we worship the Lord you know, in this place Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, this is what David does. David receives this from God because it's the word of God. It's a gift to you and I to point us back to who? David? No, back to the Lord. God has hung his glory everywhere. We see it in every place, in every country, in every walk of life. Wherever, he, we, wherever we go, we see his glory. And as David thinks about the glory of God, he thinks about God's glory, and then he thinks about God's glory in light of God's goodness to man. Think about it with me. We just read it, these few verses together. God thinks here, or David thinks about the glory of God and what he sees and what he experiences and what he witnesses and how that glory has been given or then bestowed upon the goodness of you and I. And he's amazed by it. And it causes him to worship God. That's why he begins his bookends of Psalm 8. The bookends are what? Look at it with me. Verse 1 and at the end, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It leads him to worship God. It leads him to, 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 to worship the one who is the, the, the one who deserves the majesty, the one who deserves the glory. And he comes to this one particular truth. Listen, and you and I need to understand this this morning. When you read Psalm 8, and you and I understand Psalm 8, it's, you, we need to understand this. The Lord has no rival. He has no rival. In all of the world, in all of the things that we see, in all the things that we experience, listen, God has no rival. There is no one he surrenders to, and there is no one that gains or reigns supreme except for the Lord. He has no rival. When I look around the world, when we look around the world, when David here in Psalm 8 looks around the world, he sees that the name of the Lord is mighty because it, his glory is hung everywhere, just like decorations. It didn't have to be Christmas, the Christmas season. It could be the dead of August in Texas. We see the glory of God. We see his majesty everywhere. In the intricacies and the smallest of, uh, of things to the grandest of things, we see and we experience his glory. It's surrounding you and I every day. And I think what it is on display and where it is on display, and this is what David points out, it is on display in the goodness by God to you and me. You know how we know that? Because what David says here. Let's walk through the psalm together and understand how and we see this playing itself out. If you look at Psalm 8, listen. First of all, the Lord makes his um, name great. He makes his name known to us. I mean, that's how we understand and see the, la- the fact that the Lord has no rival. He, he has no one that he surrenders to. He, he makes his name great. And that's what he says. Look at the verse one again. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. O Lord, our Lord. There's two names of God that are used in that phrase. O Lord, that's the name of Yahweh. If you look at the Hebrew and the original language of this, it's Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. He says, O Lord, our Lord. Then he goes from Yahweh to Adonai. He says, O Lord, our Lord, our Adonai. 
which is a different name of God. If you want to know and understand who God is, his names reveal his character in every way. So he says, O Lord Yahweh, Adonai, meaning sovereign, meaning someone who is our master. That is that personal name of God, Yahweh and Adonai. David, as he's writing this, as God gives it to him, he, he lays this out. He's made his name, God has made his name known in every direction. In every direction, he has made his name known. That he is a master, that he is sovereign and over every, and over every place. There is no place where God is not. I mean, he is our master. He is an infinite being. He is perfect in every way. He is our provider in every way. Just name a place in your life, a season in your life where God has not protected you and provided for you, sustained you in every way. Have you worked for it? Have you earned it? No. God is the one who has laid it out there for you and I. He is our protector. He is our provider. He's higher than everything and anything and everything. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20, it says this about the Lord. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. Let me read that again. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. He's talking about all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people. Listen, understand this, that the name, God has made his glory known to all of us. Listen, there's a lot going on down here on earth. There's a lot going on in your life right now. There's a lot going on that's swirling around our country. There's a lot going on that's swirling around our, our, our world today. But understand this, above all of it, above every situation, above every circumstance, above every chaotic season that we find ourselves in, every, every tear that is shed, every season of suffering that we experience here on earth, there is a God who has made his name great. And we need to understand that. We need to celebrate that. We need to get our eyes off of these things and on the one who is, O oh Lord, our Lord. He has made his name great above all of it. And by the way, there was a lot going on in David's world, wasn't it? And above all of it, above all these life experiences, above all of these difficult things that we experience in life, he has made his name great. The Lord has no rival. I'll tell you how else we know because of what David and where David goes next. You know, the Lord is great in how he speaks through the weakest and the most vulnerable. Now, where David goes next, look at verse 2. He says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I think there is this voice in our world today. If you close your eyes and you walk through life experiences and you go home this afternoon, you can hear it. You can hear that whisper that is there. There's no God. You, you'll hear that whisper at two o'clock in the morning when you wake up, where someone is beginning to accuse you. Someone is beginning to, to con condemn you. There's no God. God's not worthy of being followed. It's not worth it. it, it 
The world is, is chaotic. The world is falling apart. There is no God who is, who's holding all of this together. There is that voice across our world today. There is that voice across our nation today. There is that voice sometimes in your household and in your head. But it is the voice of a foe. That's what David says. It's the voice of an avenger. It's the voice of Satan himself. It's the voice of the enemy who is speaking into your life. You see, Satan is really good at this. He convicts you of sin. And then you bite and you sin. And then he's really good on the back end of coming back around you and then accusing you. You know how awful you are? He's really good at this. On the front end and on the back end and in the middle, he's constantly pressing you. He's constantly jabbing you about the fact that there is no God. God is not stepping in. God is not moving. God is not working. And so there is this voice of an avenger, but look what David says. David says, listen, in the midst of all of this, how do we know that the, the Lord is Uh, that there is no rival among the Lord, that he is great. Well, out of the mouth of babes, in verse 2, and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This is how God establishes his strength. God powerfully proclaims his glory. God powerfully proclaims his sovereign hand. God powerfully proclaims that there is no one that he bows down to, that he does not give up his authority, by way of sometimes the weakest and the most vulnerable around us. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't always tell you stories about my kids, and now they're, they're squirming in their seats over here because they don't know which one I'm going to tell you about. But I will tell you about Bryce. There was a little story about him when he was about six years old. He's 11 now, so he probably doesn't even remember this, and his mom may not remember this at all. But at our church where we were serving at, we had this great ministry where they were memorizing scripture and memorizing verses, and they were uh, learning principles and biblical principles and so forth. And so they had been memorizing verses, and he had memorized John chapter 17, verse 17. Y'all know what that verse is? Well, what is the story? The story is Jesus, and he's, he's praying, right, in, the, in that season right before he goes to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples. He's praying, and he actually prays for us. He prays for new believers that will come after him. And this is one of the things he prays. Jesus prays in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And at six years old, Bryce remembers, he, he memorizes this little verse at church. And so we explained it to him and so forth. And, and uh, we're on our way to school one day. As he's on his way to school one day, he all of a sudden blurts out. He says, hey, guess what? I said, what, buddy? He says, God is sanctifying me and mom. What? Yeah, yeah, he's sanctifying me and mom. That that means he's making us holy like him. And, And just like that, the mouth of the foe is shut. You see what I mean? This is what God does. He takes the weakest and sometimes the most vulnerable and he shuts the mouth of of Satan and he shuts the mouth of the foe and he shuts the mouth of the slanderous. He shuts the mouth of the, through people and through young and through those who are the most weak and vulnerable in our society at times. And David is reflecting on this, this principle and understanding that the Lord has no rival, that the Lord does not bow to anyone. He is great, he is mighty, and he sees it in the most vulnerable of society, out of mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The Lord is great. He has no rival. And I think where David goes next, and the reason, one of the ways and we know this, and David looks and he sees creation and how it communicates its goodness, God's goodness to man. 
He not only sees it in the weak and the most vulnerable in what he hears, but what he sees is he sees a creation. He sees God's creation and how it communicates his goodness to man. Look at verse 3 and 4. As David is singing this song back to the Lord, another stanza, if you will, of the song. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you have my, are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Man, what, a, what a question. What is man? What is man? In fact, in the New Testament, this, God's going to come back to this. We're going to see this question time and time again in the New Testament. What is man? Contemplating it. He says, if you want to know that the Lord has no rival, if you want to know that the Lord is strong and mighty and does not bow to anyone, surrenders to no one, that he reigns supreme, you, all you have to do is look no further than creation that communicates God's goodness to man. Just look at the stars and the moon and look at the creative world. God is good. What causes David in verse 3 to admire God as he's walking around, as he's walking around at night, Obviously, he's reflecting on the stars and the moon. Maybe he's walking around, and he's looking at the stars of the sky, and he's looking at the moon. Wasn't the moon beautiful last night? Crescent moon. You could see the silhouette of the moon. God, maybe, maybe David's reflecting on these kinds of images, and David is astounded. He's astounded at what he sees. He's astounded at what holds the stars in the air. He's astounded that the moon is right there, and yet it doesn't fall. It doesn't not show up the next night. He's astounded at all of these things, but, but he says, what is man? Because he looks at the stars of the sky, he sees the moon, and he sees the beauty of all of these things, and then he looks at you and I, and he sees the frailty of all of us, and he says, what is man? If that is that glorious, and that is that majestic in every way, what are we? We're weak, and we're finite, we're here today, and we're gone tomorrow. He says, what is man? Yet, the Lord sees you because he makes you. This is where David goes. Verse 4, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. You see, God cares for you and for me enormously, enormously. He's provided for us. He is protecting us at all times, at all places. He is sustaining us. And what his creation is meant to do is to point us to a good and a gracious and a majestic God. God shows us the fact that, G, that, that God is, has no rival. He surrenders his authority to no one, that he reigns supreme by way of looking at creation and how God has been good to you and I. His creation points us to him, which then leads to what David then says, the last thing he says in this. God has given us this divine, he's given humanity this divine assignment. Do you see what he's, where David goes in verse 5? Yet you have made him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and with honor. You have given him dominion over the works of his hands. He's given us a divine assignment. He's given us something that we're to do with our lives, right? You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. He says, listen, you want to know and understand that God, the Lord has no rival, that he surrenders his authority to no one, that he reigns supreme. Look no further than the fact that he has made his name great. 
Look no further than, than, than how he uses and speaks and shuts the mouths of the avenger of Satan himself with those that are weak and the most vulnerable of our society. Look no further than creation and how it communicates God's goodness and his grace to the, the goodness of man. And then he's given you and I a purpose. He's given you and I in a divine assignment. David was amazed that God would take man and give him honor. He was amazed that God would take mankind and make him a little lower than the angels. What does that mean? Well, he gave us value. He gave us purpose. If you look back in Genesis chapter 1, how does it describe the creation of humanity, the creation of Adam and Eve? He made us in the what? Image of God. You don't have value because of what the society says or does not say to you. You don't have value or you gain value from a person or an individual or a society or a culture. You have value, you have intrinsic value in the womb that God would create you and I, that he would give you and I a purpose and meaning and value in the sense that he created you in, in his image. You and I are different. We're distinct. We're set apart. This is what David's reflecting on. He looks at the stars and the moon, but he says, listen, they pale to the glory that God has given to humanity because he looks at humanity and humanity bears the image of God. Not that the way we, we, we look, but, that, but we have the image of God within us. We are distinct, we are different. We are made and created as worshipers, as those who have this innate hole in our hearts that need to be filled with something, which is why there are religions out your ears in this world today. And people worship trees, and they worship the sun, and they worship the moon, because that's how God made us, right? We were made this way. And what a beautiful thing. God says, listen, hey, that, that, he, that God would do this, that God would give, give us this divine assignment. He gives us authority and he gives us dominion over all created things. Not to be equal with the trees, not to be equal with the animals, but to have dominion over them and to steward them, right? And to rule over them. God has done this work, not mankind, not humanity. As David thinks about this, listen, church, as David thinks about this, about the name of the Lord, it gives him praise. Why? Because listen, the Lord has no rival. He does not surrender to anyone. He does not, not reign supreme. He reigns supreme in every respect. But understand this psalm is not about man. This psalm is not about humanity. This psalm is not about how good God has been to us. I want you to understand this morning that this psalm is 100% about Jesus. This psalm is used multiple times in the New Testament. It is quoted in the New Testament. Jesus himself quotes it multiple times in the New Testament. Psalm 8, Psalm 8. The words that come from Psalm 8 are 100% applied to Jesus Christ. Understand that God's goodness, listen, God's goodness is complete in the coming, listen, of the perfect man, which is Jesus Christ. Everything that we see in Psalm 8, everything that David is, is reflecting on, is singing as he is writing this, as God has given these words to him, all are made complete in Jesus Christ. And that is who Psalm 8 is pointing us to. Let me show you. You see, understand that all of the things that we just read, all the things that we see are applied to Jesus. He has no rival. 
Jesus himself surrenders to no one. He is, or he reigns supreme over all things. Now, how I know that? Because he's been given a name. His name is Jesus. His name is above every name. Let me just read for you some of the places that we read and understand this in the New Testament. So listen, understand this. For, for 400, years, the Jew, 400 years, the Jews knew that there would be a Messiah that was coming. They knew it. The Old Testament pointed them to it. The entire Old Testament was pointing them. The prophets were pointing them. The Torah was pointing to, the, to someone who would come and save his, God's people from their sins. But for 400 years, they didn't know his name. They didn't know what he would look like. They didn't know all of these details about him until Jesus comes. 400 years later, all they knew was that he was a promised Messiah. Then comes this angel. Remember this story? Then comes this angel to Mary. Y'all know the story. And what does the angel say to Mary in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21? It says, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen, you are saved by the name of Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whose name? Jesus. You pray in the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, Jesus says. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 9, that, is, that Paul says that bestowed on him, Jesus, has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? You carry the name of Jesus everywhere you go. Paul says to do everything in the name of Jesus, Colossians 3.17. Jesus' name has been lifted up. He has made his name high, and it's hung everywhere. And so we see this in Jesus. His name is above every name. His, his honor is given to him by the children of men. Not only does he have a name, but he has honor. Notice that in the New Testament, he has this honor. Just as God has given you and I this honor in, 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 in Psalm 8, as David is reflecting on this, God has done this in Jesus, given him this honor. There's a story in the temple in Matthew, in chapter 21. And there's a story where Jesus is coming into the temple and he actually quotes this psalm, Psalm 8, to those that are in the temple. Here's the story. The blind are coming to him. The lame are coming to him. Those who are hurting and, and sick. And they're, they're coming to him for healing. They're coming to him for, and they're, and they're beginning to praise him. And they're beginning to worship him out of nowhere. And it's, it's giving the Pharisees heartburn. And they don't, they, they're upset about it. And they're mad about it. Listen, when you worship Christ and you give him the honor that he is due, you're saying, listen, that you affirm his glory. So when you, when you stand and you sing a song and you sing about Jesus, you're affirming that glory that has already been given to him, that honor that the Father has already given to Jesus. So he has a name, he has honor, but, but, but he was also humiliated, wasn't he? He was humbled. And in his humiliation, he was made lower than the angels. You know the story? This is what the New Testament says about him, right? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave or a servant. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave or a servant. He became, or being born in the likeness of men. 
Jesus was humiliated. Jesus took off his, his, his divine clothes in the sense that he became man. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He walked among us. He was born just like we are born. He was humiliated all the way until he went to the cross. But listen, he wasn't just humiliated. The Father then exalted him. So, so, he, so he has a name. He, he has glory or he has honor. He was humiliated, but he's also exalted. He's exalted. Just as David says that we are exalted, we have purpose, we have meaning. In God, in Christ, he receives everything. He has this exaltation. He is crowned with glory and with honor. Hebrews chapter 2, this is what the writer of Hebrews says to us. He actually quotes again this psalm, and he says about Jesus in describing Jesus, he says, what is man, he's quoting, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So that was a quote. Then he says this, now in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was humiliated, but Jesus was exalted. Why do all of that? Why would God do all of that? Well, isn't it obvious? He does that because we are broken. We're broken people. He paves the way for you and I to be saved from sin. He paves this way for you and I to enter into this fellowship with him, to know him, to have a personal relationship with him, not this religious activity of, of, of dead and empty prayers and dead and empty rituals, but to know him in a personal way. That's why God does all of this for us. This is why God reveals all of this to us. And this is how you and I have any kind of hope on this earth. If we're left without that kind of hope, imagine what this world would look like in all of the chaos with cultures changing and shifting and the sand shifting constantly around us. And you have your whole life planned out and you have all of your action steps and you have all of the things that you want to do with your life and then all of a sudden it comes to an end by something that happens. You lose a spouse, circumstances, you find out you have cancer, everything happens and it just, everything shifts. Without Christ, there is no hope. This is your lot in life. Just give up but we do have hope. We have hope because there is a God who cared about you and me. We have hope because there was a God who looked into my life, he looked into your life, and he saw you hopeless. He saw you without the ability to have a personal relationship with the God of heaven, and he stepped into this world through his son, Jesus Christ, and he, he took on he took on flesh. He went to the cross for you and for me, and therefore Jesus has no rival. He surrenders to no one. He reigns supreme himself. So what do we do with that? Well, the Lord's the one who did this work. 
the Lord's the one who hangs his glory everywhere. The the Lord's the one that in Romans chapter 1 says that you and I are without excuse. And so what is our response to that? Well, our response to that is to worship him. Christian, worship him. Christian, surrender to him. Christian, surrender to his will in your life. Don't listen to what your heart says. Listen to what the word of God says. And follow him fully and wholeheartedly with your life. But I'm also talking to those, and I think the Lord is talking to those who are not his yet. Those who haven't surrendered their lives to him yet. Those who haven't chosen to embrace his son, the Father, Son, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. What do you do with this reality? What do you do with this truth? Will you receive him? You acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge that you're cut off from God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And you understand that it doesn't matter how religious you are, no matter how quote-unquote good you try to be, it's never going to be enough to please God to allow you into heaven when you die. But it is also important to understand God made a way. And his way is found in his work, the work of his son, Jesus. Therefore, you surrender to his work in your life. You, you, you allow him to be savior and Lord of your heart. And you repent and turn away from yourself and your sins and you start to follow him fully and wholeheartedly with your life. That's how you respond to Psalm 8. Because Jesus has come, listen, he is coming again. He's coming again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around this morning, we're gonna have a time of response. And let's respond with joy, Christian. Let's respond with joy and surrender to his work in your life, the majesty of Christ. Let's Let's respond by surrendering your life to Jesus if you're not a follower of his. I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning. And when I come, when we we say amen, we're going to open our eyes, and you have the courage to come as we sing a song of response this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your work. Thank you for how you have sent your son Jesus into the world to fulfill, Lord, everything that you have promised. Jesus, you came, and you're going to come again one day. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have no rival, no rival. No matter what religions dot this earth, no matter how many times we follow our own hearts and our feelings, there is only one King of kings and Lord of lords. We've been singing about you this morning, Lord. God, as we come to you and we respond to your work, help us to be obedient, help us to surrender, help us to to follow you with joy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll be here at the front. You come. If you want to give your life to Christ, make a decision. Thank you for tuning in to one of our services. We would love to invite you, if you're ever in the Livingston area, to worship with us. We're located at 503 Northeast Avenue in Livingston, Texas. Here at Central Baptist, we are an intergenerational body of baptized believers with a blended style of praise who value expositional preaching, meaningful membership, consistent discipleship across all ages, and a gospel emphasis both locally and globally. 
If you'd like more information about Central, please visit our website at centrallivingston.com. Once again, thank you and have a blessed day.